You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Wednesday, the 16th of September. And here's your quarantine tip of the day. September is apple picking season. But if you're worried about how to go out and pick apples and be safe, just do what black people do. Don't go. Anyway, on tonight's show, celebrities take down Facebook. Louis Black helps you move to the suburbs and Donald Trump attacks the real president. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with Brianna Taylor. It has been six months now since the 26-year-old EMT was killed in her own apartment by Louisville police. And after months of protests in the streets, online, and at major sporting events, the city of Louisville has finally responded. A major development in the killing of Breonna Taylor. Attorneys for Taylor's family say they have reached a settlement with the city of Louisville, Kentucky. That settlement includes a financial agreement and police reforms. $12 million in a settlement, a civil settlement for Breonna Taylor, but the lawyers and the mom and everybody there making it clear that this fight is not over. They did announce though uh, that along with that civil settlement, there are a number of police reforms, including a housing credit for officers to live in low income housing, to live in the communities that they police, creating a program to include social workers for assistance on police runs, commanding officer to review search warrants before the officer seeks a judicial warrant. Those are some pretty serious reforms for the police department. Okay, there's a lot going on right here, so let's try and break it down. In what might be a first, the city of Louisville has agreed to not just pay a settlement to Breonna Taylor's family, but also enact a number of police reforms to try and prevent something like this from happening ever again. For instance, from now on, a commanding officer has to attach their name to a search warrant before it goes to a judge, which hopefully means that they'll be more careful about which raids they approve, because now they can be held accountable. Also, every raid will now include paramedics so that if someone does get shot, somebody is on hand to try and save their life. Unlike what happened with Brianna Taylor, who was left on the ground for 20 minutes after being shot. Another reform is that officers will now be incentivized to live in the communities that they police, which is a step in the right direction, but I'll be honest with you, I can't believe that police are allowed to live outside the areas that they patrol. You know, you would think they'd have a vested interest if they police the places that they're from. You know, it's like the president not living in the country that he's in charge of, which I know technically Putin does with America, but you know what I'm saying. And obviously, a large part of the settlement is the $12 million paid to Breonna Taylor's family, which is a record for the most money Louisville has ever paid for police misconduct. But honestly, that's not really the type of records we want black people to be setting. And the thing that's also messed up about these settlements is that it's never paid by the police who did something wrong. It's paid by the city, which means taxpayers are being punished for the crimes that are committed against them, which I think we can all agree is some bullshit. I mean, if cops are guilty of misconduct, they should be responsible for the settlement you'd be a lot less likely to play fast and loose if you knew that you were risking your house. And as for the police department, this was a big step forward. But at the same time, guys, I don't think it should take the killing of an innocent person 
for police departments to make common sense reforms. They should be doing this on their own. You know, the time to install a smoke detector is not while your house is on fire. So yes, the city of Louisville has made moves to atone for what happened to Breonna Taylor. And in some ways, this is a victory. But really, the true victory will be when no more families have to get settlements for the loved ones that they've lost. All right, let's move on from police brutality to another scourge of 2020, Facebook. The place your uncle goes to investigate the Kennedy assassination. There's no denying that although Facebook publicly denounces hate speech and misinformation, it's also become a big part of their business, which is why today, hundreds of celebrities have teamed up to send a message to the Zuck. Kim Kardashian West and other celebrities say that they are freezing their Instagram accounts today to protest how its parent company, Facebook, has handled misinformation and hate speech. Kardashian West has 188 million Instagram followers. Other celebrities freezing their accounts for the day include Katy Perry, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jennifer Lawrence. It's part of the Stop Hate for Profit campaign that has pressured Facebook to remove hate speech. Some have criticized the celebrity Instagram freeze as a stunt saying it's not much of a sacrifice. Okay, this is an interesting one. On the one hand, I agree with people who say it might not be a huge sacrifice to not post on social media for one day. I mean, for people who have spectrum, a day with no internet is just a part of their lives. But on the other hand, you have to admit all of these giant accounts freezing their posts on the same day creates a huge amount of attention to the problem of hate speech online and anything Anything that brings awareness to this issue, which is radicalizing young men, misinforming the public, and undermining democracy is a really good thing. Because guys, next to climate change and income inequality, online toxicity could become one of the things that rips our society apart. Right now, there are fake accounts that exist just to piss you off. Fake accounts that try and get black people and white people to hate each other. People spreading conspiracies about vaccines, sex trafficking, and the Holocaust. And as we've seen in India and Myanmar, even Kenosha, Wisconsin, hate that started online can easily cross over into the real world. So look, maybe this one day boycott isn't the silver bullet, but at least it's a step in the right direction. And it's also good because maybe for a day, we can finally stop obsessing over stupid things like celebrities' butt pics and stop focusing on important things like our friends' butt pics. So kudos to Kim Kardashian for taking part in this massive event. But if you ask me, taking some time off the internet could also be good for Kanye West. I mean, he could finally get back to his roots, you know, forget the likes, forget the retweets, and just urinate on stuff for the love of the game. But let's move on now to our big story. Because while the world is falling apart, there's still a presidential election in just 48 days. So let's catch up in our ongoing coverage of Votegasm 2020. Today's campaign coverage kicks off with Joe Biden, former vice president and your favorite politician ever for the next 48 days. Recent polls have shown that compared to previous Democratic nominees, Biden isn't doing as well with Hispanic voters which is why yesterday Biden went to Florida and unveiled his plan to win them over. A new ringtone. I just have one thing to say. Hang on here. <laughs> All right.
There you go. Dance a little bit, Joe. Come on. I tell you, brother. <laughs> I tell you what. If I had the talent of any one of these people, I'd be, I'd be elected president by acclamation. <laughs> oh yeah! Everybody, get on the dance floor, and now keep moving toward the exit. No one should have to see this. But yes, at a Hispanic outreach event in Florida yesterday, Biden pulled out his phone and played a few seconds of the song Despacito, which you probably saw online. You know, people like, oh, this is how Biden thinks he's gonna connect with Hispanic voters. What a pandering racist. What you probably didn't see online is the context. You see, Biden had just been introduced by Luis Fonsi, the singer of Despacito, who talked about how the song proved to him that in this country, we won't be defined by our differences. And then people took the clip out of context and were like, oh no, we are definitely defined by our differences. And look, I expect the internet to share clips out of context. But then President Trump went ahead and shared a manipulated version of that clip, which made it seem like Biden actually played the police on his phone, which will probably bump up Biden's popularity on the left, but I don't think that's what Trump was going for. And once again, this is a reminder. Before you get angry about anything that you see online, Just take it despacito. Now, Trump hasn't just been spending his time spreading misinformation on Twitter. Because while Biden is looking to shore up Hispanic voters, Trump has been making a play for a demographic that he's been struggling with. People who don't want to die from coronavirus. Which is why last night, the president of the United States and Hooters Diamond Club member took the rare step of sitting down for a town hall that was not hosted by Fox News. And it seems like he might be just a little rusty taking questions from a less than adoring audience. Uh, The wearing of masks has proven to lessen the spread of COVID. Um, Why don't you support a mandate for national mask wearing? And why don't you wear a mask more often? Well, I do wear them when I have to and when I'm in hospitals and other locations. By the way, a lot of people don't want to wear masks. There are a lot of people think the masks are not good. And there are a lot of people that, as an example, you have- Who are those people? I'll tell you who those people are. Waiters, they come over and they serve you and they have a mask. And I saw it the other day where they were serving me and they're playing with a mask. I'm not blaming them, I'm just saying what happens. They're playing with a mask, so the mask is over and they're touching it and and then they're touching the plate. Uh, That can't be good. The concept of a mask is good, but it also does, you're constantly touching it, you're touching your face, you're touching plates. There are people that don't think masks are good. Okay, no. I'm sorry, guys, but I'm calling bullshit on this. First of all, the people in the window at McDonald's are not called waiters, all right? Secondly, why is the president of a country with one of the highest corona death rates in the world still giving people room to doubt masks? It's so weird because Trump's followers will do anything he says. So why doesn't he just tell them to wear masks? Masks are great for protecting your health. And you save precious time by not bronzing the lower part of your face. Also, I'm really struggling to understand Trump's logic here because he's worried about a waiter breathing into their mask, then touching the mask, then touching the plate, then giving Trump the plate, and then Trump touching the plate and then touching his mouth. But Trump isn't worried about the waiter just breathing directly into Trump's mouth. Here's your order, sir. I mean, basically Trump is ignoring the immediate threat to focus on a far less likely threat. If an asteroid was coming towards the Earth, Trump would be like, don't blow it up. 
one of the pieces might fall into my mouth and I'll choke on it. Oh, and just when you thought Trump's answer on masks couldn't get any worse, wait until you hear who he blamed for the fact that more people aren't wearing them. But I, I will say this, uh, they said at the Democrat convention, they're gonna do a national mandate. They never did it because they've checked out and they didn't do it. And a, qu a good question is you ask, like Joe Biden, they said, we're gonna do a ma national mandate on masks. He's called on convention. all governors to have them. It is a state well, responsibility. Well, no, but he, he didn't do it. I mean, he never did it. Yeah. Trump has a good point. Why hasn't Joe Biden instituted a national mask mandate? And don't say it's because he's not the president and doesn't have any power. That's not an excuse. Guess what, Donald? There's only one man responsible for fixing all of America's problems, and it's not Joe Biden. It's Jared Kushner. Look, guys, between this and blaming riots on Joe Biden, either Trump is delusional or he's slowly trying to Jedi mind trick America into thinking that Biden has been president this whole time. Guys, if you want four more years of this disaster, by all means, re-elect President Biden. You saw how crazy it was. Maybe this time you should pick an outsider. Hey, maybe I should start pulling this move. Just blaming shit on people who have nothing to do with anything. You know, just walking into a 7-Eleven like, you guys didn't set my DVR last night. And now I missed game seven. <laughs> now, I know a lot of you haters out there say that Trump doesn't know what he's doing. And because of that, a lot of people are gonna die. That's not true. A lot of people are gonna die because Trump does know what he's doing. And we are gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. And it is going away. And it's probably gonna go away now a lot faster because of the vaccine. It would go away without the vaccine, George. But it's going to go away a lot faster with It would with go it. away without the vaccine? Sure, over a period of time. Sure, with time, it goes and many away. deaths. And you'll develop, you'll develop herd, like a herd mentality. It's gonna be, it's gonna be herd developed and that's gonna happen. That will all happen. Okay, there, there's a lot of things going on here that are funny. Uh, firstly, you can tell that he knows herd mentality is wrong, but he can't remember the right word. So then he tries herd developed, which is also wrong. And you can see in his head, he's just going through all the herds. Uh, herd mentality, uh, herd developed, uh, herd it through the grapevine. Obviously the phrase Trump was trying to find was herd immunity. And what's funny about that is that for America to reach herd immunity, a couple million people would have to die, which I guess is one way to defeat the virus. So, those are the latest updates from the campaign trail. One candidate, through willful ignorance, is gonna be the reason hundreds of thousands of Americans die, and the other candidates played a song on his phone. So I don't know, guys. I can see why this is a tough call. All right, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, Lewis Black will help you move to the suburbs. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. You know, with all the craziness of 2020, news stories are falling through the cracks more than ever. Luckily for us, Lewis Black catches them for a segment we call Back in Black. New York City, it's as American as spitting on an apple pie. 
But as much as I love New York, I also love not dying of COVID-19, which is why I've temporarily relocated to suburban Pennsylvania. It's weird out here. Even their Jews are Christian. I don't get it. But I'm not the only one decamping to greener pastures. A lot of my fellow cowards have had the same idea. A trend we're seeing in the age of COVID-19, people packing up their things and moving to the country. The suburbs near New York are booming. In July, home sales were up 44% compared to last year, while the number of properties sold in Manhattan dropped by more than half. That's right. New York loses a lot of its appeal when you can no longer do all the things you used to do for fun, like paying $40 for a sandwich or going to the garden to watch the Knicks lose. And what's the point of exposing myself in public if I have to wear a mask? But the suburbs have their own rules and own customs that might be strange to newcomers. So to help my fellow city folk, I want to give some tips for adjusting to life as a suburban refugee. I know in the city, most of your interaction with people is calling them assholes. But here in the suburbs, you have to be nice to everyone. So you're the asshole. For example, when you see your neighbors say, hey, Bob, how's the golf game going? Instead of, hey, Bob, what the f are you looking at? Also, if you see someone laying in the middle of the street passed out, you have to help them. Apparently, just stepping over them like a human pothole is not a normal thing around here. So now that you got that, let's move on to tip number two. The only people out walking in the suburbs are hikers and drug dealers. And you don't want to be mistaken for a hiker. So instead, go buy the biggest SUV you can find. You want a vehicle with the same specs the Army uses in Afghanistan. You never know when a trip to Williams-Sonoma can go sideways. Then once you have your personal tank, drive it everywhere. Drive it to the grocery store, the park, the end of the driveway to get your mail, and then buy four more, one for everyone in the family. And if you don't have a family, buy one of those too. You'll need them for all the SUVs. Don't forget to invite Helen to your Tupperware party. I know she talks too much about her sciatica, but she's the de facto leader of the Homeowners Association. And if you piss her off, good luck getting approval for your new mailbox. You gotta get in good with the right people. Which brings me to tip number four. Oh, yeah. You better believe they have gangs out here. But instead of the Bloods or Crips, they're called things like the PTA or Book Club. And they're a thousand times more vicious. Last month, Susan didn't finish where the crawdads sing in time. And now she's dead! Forget sports cars. A clean, well-manicured lawn is how people in the suburbs measure their dicks. Did you know you're supposed to mow your yard every week? 
I'd never have moved out here if I knew I had to give Mother Nature a Brazilian. But you got to do it because the height of your grasp is how the neighbors know the kind of person you are. Three inches long, you're a pillar of the community. Four inches, you're dealing with some stuff and you need to get your act together. Five inches, that missing fifth grader is in your basement. So follow these tips and the only problem you'll have with suburban life will be the crushing loneliness. And hey, if you ever miss the city, just do what I do. Spritz the air with a bottle of urine. Mm. Smells like home. Back to you, Trevor. Thank you so much for that, Lewis. It's time for us to take a short break, but when we come back, I'll be talking to Senator John Testa about how Democrats can compete in Trump country. After that, Big Sean also joins us on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with John Testa. He's a third-term Democratic senator from Montana. We talked about his new memoir and his ideas for how Democrats can win back white rural voters. Check it out. Senator Testa, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. It is great to be with you virtually. You are one of the most interesting politicians in America because you are an organic farmer, a seasoned butcher, and you are the senator of a deeply red state. You know, you, you, you voted against Neil Gorsuch. You, you have stood up to many of Donald Trump's decisions and yet people still vote for you. So are you a sign that America isn't as polarized as people think or is your winning an exception to the rule? Look, I think the, the country's more polarized than it's ever been, certainly in my 64 years on this earth. But I still think we have far more in common than we have uh, differences. And, and I think that the key is, is to bring people together. And that's not something that Donald Trump has done. He tends to divide us a lot more than bring us together. But the truth is, is I think if we come together and we have good, honest conversations and we have a good debate and we compromise, we can come up with solutions. And by the way, that's the way it's worked from the beginning of time in this nation. It's what made us the greatest country on earth. And we can do it again. Okay, let's put that to the test. One of the biggest problems America is facing right now is the coronavirus and specifically what to do with schools. You are in a unique position where you're not just a lawmaker, but you are a former teacher who, you know, was a member of the school board. So you've been in the trenches. What do you think America needs to do uh, with regards to opening the schools, the when and the how? Look, in my small town, uh, what I would have recommended if I was on the school board is that we use every facility that we could to social distance those kids and keep those teachers safe and keep those kids safe. Uh, I'm talking about using everything from community halls to church basements to, to every meeting place there is. Now, I know it's going to cost a few more bucks to get it clean and make sure it's safe, but the truth is, is that I think, you know, things like wearing masks and being socially distanced are things that really can help stop the spread of this virus. And I think that if I was a parent, school board member, teacher, even a student, I'd be, I'd be saying, hey, let's look how we can best socially distance. And, and I think that's really, uh, that's really the key. Uh, you don't, I, don't, I don't agree in stopping school. And I, and I think people need to get back to a normal way of life, but uh, we need to let science be our guide. And I think that's what's critically important. Your book is entitled Grounded, A Senator's Lessons on Winning Back Rural America. 
And, and it's really interesting that you say winning back rural America. Do you feel that Democrats have lost white rural voters? And how do you think they can begin winning them back? When I was growing up, the area I live in, north central Montana, had a whole heck of a lot of Democrats in it. That started disappearing in the 70s and continued in the 80s and 90s. And now there's not many Democrats left in it. The fact is, is we need to listen. I like, we've got big issues out there, Trevor, you know that. I mean, issues around climate change and healthcare. And, and, and the fact is, is that we can bring everybody along if, if, if in fact we talk to them and listen to them and, and find that common ground. Look, I think the reason climate change, for example, is so very, very difficult in my area, in my town, is because people are afraid that any changes we might make might put them out of business. So let's talk about changes we can make that will make their business better and not put them out of business. You know, as an experienced farmer, you yourself have conceded the fact that Donald Trump has done a good job of making farmers believe that he is on their side. Recently, you filibustered the COVID bill that would have allocated $20 billion to help farmers. And as a farmer, it feels like, you, you know, you would have a really soft spot in your heart for all farmers who are struggling through this period. Farmers are very, very important. Trust me, I'm one of them. We work at Feeding the World. That is a fact. But the truth is, it has to be much more comprehensive than that if we're gonna get a bill to pass that actually helps turn this economy around, not only for farmers, but for everybody, for working folks, for small businesses, the, 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 whole, the whole thing. Every bill you work on has positive and negative things to it. The problem with the one that, that we voted down or filibustered last week was, there just wasn't much there there. There was a little bit of there there for farmers, but the truth is, is that there needs to be, there needs to be more. This is a big deal, this COVID-19, and our economy is suffering greatly for it. And it's not just agriculture, by the way. Hospitality sector and other sectors are getting pounded. And, and the other thing I would point out to farmers is, is that we need somebody that knows how to uh, get trade policies at work. Without exports, farmers are dead in the water. And long before COVID came, the President of the United States was in trade wars that really hurt production agriculture, both grains and, 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 and pulses and, and livestock and beef and pork. So well, we've got a lot more work to do to help out the, the, the family farms in this nation. One last question. When you look at the upcoming election, it is no secret that Joe Biden's biggest challenge is going to be wrestling those voters who maybe voted for Obama and then moved to Trump and are now in some ways up in the air as a politician who many see as a DC outsider, the man who they say pays $11 for his flat top and no more than that. What advice would you give to the Biden campaign on how to communicate with bringing some of these voters back into the fold? Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Be honest, be authentic and show up. I know Joe Biden. Joe Biden is straight up. He's a working class guy. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's, he's worked for everything he's got. He needs to tell that story to rural America. And, and if he tells him and looks him in the eye when he says it, I think he'll get a lot more votes than our previous candidate did. Senator Testa, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Senator. All right, when we come back, I'll be talking with the man himself, Big Sean, about his brand new album. So stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with the Grammy-nominated multi-platinum artist, Big Sean. We talked about his new album, Detroit 2, which has gone to the top of the charts. 
Welcome, man. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show, my dude. Good to have you uh, back on the show in a very different way. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. And congratulations. I feel like last time you came on the show, you had your album out and you were at the top of the Billboard charts. Um, Detroit 2 just dropped and you have debuted at number one. Congratulations. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. And honestly, that, that it means a lot to debut like that. But for me, it was already number one just because of what I wanted to put in the music and the impact that I wanted to make for the people who were who were ready for that, you know? So that 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 actual number one was just like a cherry on top for sure. Listening to it, I was I was really intrigued by the journey that you take us on. It's an emotional journey. You talk about America's healthcare system, you talk about religion, you talk about your own anxiety and depression as a human being. I mean, this is not something you normally hear rappers rapping about. Like it's a very vulnerable album, but at the same time it's not weak. It's 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 a really delicate balance. Why did you feel the need to make an album that is so vulnerable? Honestly, it wasn't even by choice. It was just what was in my heart at the time. You know, I feel like I got into a point in my career. I, you know, I feel like whenever you do something for 10 years plus, your passion starts to change for it. You know, it's not the same hunger that you had when you first got into it. And I was experiencing that. And I was experiencing all this anxiety and depression. And I didn't know why. I was like, let me focus on me. And, you know, I did therapy. I spiritually really, really got my spiritual connection stronger and that foundation stronger. And in doing that, like through all the meditations I was doing, one of the things that I that I did was visualize and go back to when I was 15 or when I was 19 and 21 and mm-hmm. when I when I was sleeping in the studio. Like, what? Why? Why? Why was I so passionate? Like, why did I do that? And it helped me return back to the essence of that. But as a as as a new as a new as a new me though at the same time right. you know and uh it's something that has helped me rediscover myself and when I, I really asked myself what's my passion what's my purpose it was like my real purpose is to inspire right so the best way i can do that is through the music and when i did that when i said that that's when all the honesty really started coming through because it was like okay I may have to sacrifice my privacy, but it's going to help somebody and it's going to inspire some somebody and lift them up. And that's what I needed. I needed inspiration and motivation. So that that was my whole goal. I feel like you I, I feel like you've done that, you know, time and time again throughout this album. I think there's a reason it's number one right now on the charts is because, you know, it's not just great music, but it connects to what many people are going through, especially during these times. One of my favorite lyrics is in deep reverence. When you say in high school, they taught me about chemistry and biology, but they didn't teach me how to deal with anxiety. Right. And that, that really hit me because like in, in the world, if you think about it, no one teaches you how to deal with a lot of these things. We don't learn this in school. We don't focus on this in society. Do you think that that's something you're going to be pushing a lot more going forward is trying to get people to deal openly with anxiety and depression and anything else they may be dealing with? I mean, I don't apply everything I learned in physics or, you know, the trigonometry I had to learn or like <laughs> all these things. It's like, so I think they need to really incorporate that into the health class because right. mental mental health is your health. You know, it's it, it, it it's called mental health to specific to, you know, to specifically point that part of the health out. But I don't say like, hey, my hand health is good today or my eye health is really strong today. It's right. like to me, it's all health. So. 
that needs to be incorporated on how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with depression. Also things like taxes, like all the things I learned in school, especially all the math classes, I needed to learn more about taxes, <laughs> setting up LLCs, <laughs> how, how, you know, all those things, man. When you look at what makes this album good, you have Kanye West as one of the executive producers. You've got featuring acts, you know what I mean? You've got like Eminem, you know, you've got Post Malone, you've got Diddy on, you've got Erica Badu, you've got Stevie Wonder. Um, you've even got Dave Chappelle. Yeah, and, and that's got an interesting backstory to it. You know, I mean, the, the artists we know, but but what is your connection with Dave Chappelle? How did he get onto the album? Bro, so Dave Chappelle, I ran into him hopping off of a plane at like 5 a.m. He walks up to me and he's like, yo, bro, I love your dad, man. He was like, I love your music, but I love your dad. And I'm like, what? Like, I thought I was in a Twilight Zone for real. And I remember I immediately went back to a conversation I had with my dad a few months ago. And he was like... Yo, I was backstage at Dave Chappelle's show, man. Yo, son, he loves you. Like, I was really kicking it with him. And I, I was, you know, my dad kind of can exaggerate things sometimes. So I'm just sitting there like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so I had to call my dad and be like, yo, bro. Like, not bro, but yo, dad, like, <laughs> my bad. You know, I didn't know that you really, like, made an impact on Dave Chappelle. And then I told Dave that I was working on the Detroit, you know, album for Detroit. and right. You know, he was like, bro, not only will I do a story for you, he was like, I would open up for you at a show, man, and like, did, you know, donate my whole proceeds. Like, for him to be that, that real and that human, you know, I just appreciate him for that. So all, all the stories and like features, man, they all were very, very like organic. It wasn't, it wasn't anything forced or mm -hmm. any favors done. It was just all out of love. It's been three years since your previous album, it's been three years of Big Sean living his life. It's been three years of you growing as an artist. What do you think has been the biggest change? Hmm. Well, I feel like I'm still learning and still going through it. You know, I feel like it's a journey. But to me, the biggest, I guess the biggest transformation that has happened since my last album is that I've been able to listen to my gut, listen to my heart, and walk in my purpose. And I think that when you walk in purpose, you know, happiness is a is something that you, you see every day, you know, right. and something that you can help, especially in a time where we need it the most, especially in a time where the world is on fire, especially in a time where we lo we're losing heroes in real life and losing role models and people who had so much more life to give us. I think it's important that we all rise up and be the best version that we can be of ourselves. I think you've done that, man. I think you've done it in the music. I think you do it in your life. I appreciate you, man. Big Sean, thanks for joining us on the show. Yes, sir. Peace, bro. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, I wanted to remind you that the West Coast is currently battling some horrific wildfires that are destroying millions of acres of land and displacing thousands of people. Climate change has been a key factor in increasing the risk and the extent of these conditions. One organization that has been working to find practical solutions for environmental change is the Environmental Defense Fund. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, wash your hands after you pee on your Grammy. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.
This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 